0: and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us.
1: Essentially, Symantec receives uh, billions of rows in telemetry every day. And one of the things that my team do is actually dig through that uh, telemetry in order to hunt down new threats. And it was through one of these analytics that we were able to identify some suspicious credential dumping activity, which led us on to uncovering Pompilius and their attacks against organizations operating in the chemical sector.
0: That's Alan Neville. He's a principal threat intelligence analyst at Symantec. The research we're discussing today is titled, Lazarus Targets Chemical Sector. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. Well, before we dig into the details here, I mean, this centers around the Lazarus group, which is uh, out of North Korea. Can you give us a little bit of the background on them? Yeah, so Lazarus itself is kind
1: of more of a, what do you say, an all-compassing name that mainly consists of a lot of different subgroups. Across semantic themselves, we already actually track probably at least up to 15 different groups that are all kind of under that umbrella name Lazarus and Lazarus was originally the the name that was known as Hidden Cobra, which was used by the US government. Essentially there's many of these different subgroups, Um, we've split them out based on some of the separate activity that we actually track across Symantec, so we would have groups that we'd associate with North Korea like Blewis or Ballworm for et cetera, which for example, SA Blueist, they would target individuals in South Korea uh, using threats like Eagle Boss, mainly um, executives doing their business or working in uh, South Korea. Ballworm, for example, is another group that we track where they had previously hijacked software updates in order to install their malware. We had Cloverworm, which we've also published on in the past. This was essentially an espionage effort by North Korea where they were involved in financially motivated attacks against uh, crypto mining or crypto organizations. Um, and some considered these groups known as like Springtail, one and the same. But when we start digging into that activity for Clover we, we kind of split that out into two different groups. So it's, it's somewhat confusing in terms of where lots of different vendors track all the subset of activity under different names. And Lazarus mm. has essentially become one of these umbrella terms, which kind of um, ca- encapsulates all of North Korean activity.
0: And as you mentioned, your team is tracking this particular group as the name uh, Pompilus. Is that right? Pompilus, yeah. That's
1: the the group that we've uh, dubbed for this particular set of
0: activity. And so this starts out with a continuation of Lazarus's uh, technique that is referred to as Operation Dream Job.
1: Yeah, so Dream Jobs is quite interesting. Um, There's actually been quite a bit of reporting about this over the last several years. It was first published uh, by our colleagues in ESES in a blog around June 2020, where they specifically detailed a campaign uh, which attacked defense and aerospace companies in Europe and the Middle East uh, between like September and I think it was December 2019. And in that campaign, which they named um, Interception, made use of social engineering and relied on like a modular malware to collect and perform reconnaissance on targeted networks um, at that time, according to ESS, the attackers made initial contact with their targets through LinkedIn. The attackers themselves had been creating profiles, impersonating HR recruiters from international companies in the defense sector and aerospace sectors. And they used these, copy, uh, these copycat profiles to send job offers to their targets. And for any of those who may have shown interest in those jobs, they would then eventually send them like a password-protected archive which is either sent directly to them via email, or may have a link to like one of those cloud providers like OneDrive to install their malware. And then later, I suppose in 2020, McAfee also documented a similar campaign. They released a blog where they detailed uh, the malicious documents that were being sent to the individuals related to legitimate job offers at leading defense contractors. All of the organizations that were detailed in that blog had active defense contracts. varying sizes and scope, all with the US government. And then there was also additional reporting by ClearSky. They had released a report where they detailed some further tactics of the attackers. For example, they began to impersonate legitimate individuals in companies, um, not just setting up fake profiles, but actually copying LinkedIn profiles from um, existing employees and using their images as well. Uh, They began to build up a reputation by adding other individuals within those companies to LinkedIn, before they began reaching out to their targets, essentially kind of using the same means as before, like sending job offers. In those cases, they began leveraging um, other messaging platforms as well. So it wasn't just LinkedIn, but they began to branch out onto other platforms like WhatsApp or directly through SMS texts and even in Twitter. And then we'd also seen a blog that was published in January 2021 by Google, and they had observed similar campaigns but in these cases, it looked like the attackers had shifted their focus away from defense and um, aerospace and started uh, focusing on security researchers. Mm-hmm. And in these campaigns, the attackers began to impersonate professional security researchers, setting up LinkedIn profiles and Twitter accounts, a lot, a lot of what we've seen previously. Uh, but they even went as far as starting to create blogs, uh, publishing articles on exploit vulnerability research in an attempt to build up that reputation. One stage they even created fake YouTube videos supposedly uh, demonstrating a zero-day exploit against Windows Defender and this was later proven to be fake. They had used these types of tactics as a a means to build up a reputation Um, Mm. and then using that reputation would begin to reach out to other security researchers and begin to ask them would they like to collaborate on some vulnerability research to the point where they would send them uh, a Visual Studios project Uh, which would essentially install some malware onto the security researchers' machines.
0: Well, let's dig into this particular campaign. What were you tracking here? During this time, we had obviously been
1: keeping track um, of all this activity, which we then began tracking as a separate group because it looked like very kind of uh, unique characteristics in terms of some of the tactics and tools that the, the group were using. And around LACE, I suppose, 2021, you began observing a shift in some of the targeting by the actors, whereby they began to focus on healthcare and pharmaceutical sectors initially, retaining access in some of those organisations for up to several months. Similar to what we'd previously reported, uh, we've observed the attackers leveraging various social media platforms, sending malicious documents with laws related to pharma um, and jobs, job offers and identified potentially new undocumented vector as well, whereby attackers were installing their tools via legitimate system management software tools to spread across the networks. Uh, We'd also observed the attackers targeting financial organizations that were heavy into cryptocurrency as well. As we continued to monitor the group in 2021 and then later into 2022, we noticed a second shift in their targeting whereby they began to set their sights on organizations operating in the information technology sector, which included web hosting companies, some small-time registrars, uh, and we'd also seen some IT support contractors as well. And then at a later stage, we start seeing a shift towards conglomerates. Um, We believe that they had targeted these organizations in the IT sectors initially to build out some of their infrastructure, the majority of their command and control servers that they use, are compromised websites, so it kind of makes sense for them to go after those organizations. However, there was another theory as well, that they were likely targeting these organizations as a means to get access to other organizations of interest, essentially, I suppose, performing a supply chain attack. And we noticed some of the other victims around that time were partnered with some of those IT contractors. In terms of the chemical targeting, as we began to, I suppose, dig into those um, conglomerates, we had noticed that majority of those victims actually operated within the chemical sector. Specifically, the machines that Lazarus were targeting at the time um, all were related to machines that were being used to conduct um, research in the chemical sector, um, spe- specifically around some um, projects that were being worked on in collaboration with different different organisations. Hmm.
0: The research that you all have posted here includes a case study, uh, what you tracked from an organization in the chemical sector. Can we go through that together, get some insights as to how uh, Lazarus went about this?
1: Yeah, so um, in, in the recent victim that we described in the blog, we'd seen the victim themselves were operating in the chemical sector. They were part of a conglomerate. We believe that they had been initially sent some malicious emails that contained links to remote sites. And the user that they had targeted um, essentially had opened the email, clicked the link, which in turn was able to download and install a malicious DLL file onto to, onto their machine, which essentially gave the, the actors a backdoor access. So once that backdoor was installed and executed, it was used to, to download a second, um, second stage payload Uh, which the attackers were able to leverage um, and that gave them the ability to be able to execute arbitrary commands that were all being executed in memory. And they were able to use, again, use that access to install additional tools, potentially steal information from the infected machine itself. And in multiple cases where we observed them installing these tools, we had seen them leveraging trojanized versions of legitimate projects like uh, compression libraries, In some instances, we had seen them using system management software to install some of their backdoors on other machines once they gained that initial access. Um, And again, that's probably all likely just to try and remain under the radar for as long as possible within those organizations. And I suppose after the attackers had gained that access, one of the first things we seen them do was obviously start to collect credentials to assist in that lateral movement. The attackers then began creating multiple, multiple uh, scheduled tasks to ensure persistence as a means to run commands. Um, they were leveraging batch files to do this in those cases. Um, and we also observed them installing older versions of, like um, I think we'd seen Bitdefender, which had software that was vulnerable to remote code execution vulnerabilities, uh, which again was likely to allow them to execute arbitrary commands on harder to reach systems. Beyond those backdoor tools and the remote access tools that we've seen them install uh, within that victim, it looks like they also were able to deploy tools to be able to take screenshots to monitor machines of interest. Um, And this tool would take screenshots of browse web pages every 10 seconds and, and send those images back to the attackers.
0: Now, by what means were they ultimately detected? The cases where...
1: These were initially detected, it was all through the analytics that our team actually develop. So Mm -hmm. like that, we collect billions of rows of telemetry that are submitted to Symantec every day. As part of that threat hunting effort that we actually do, one of those approaches that we use would would be to design a lot of these analytics to, to identify the suspicious attack behavior. It's usually through those that we were able to identify. And and in this case, this is what we were actually able to find. We were able to identify some suspicious credential dumping activity that was identified through those analytics.
0: And so what are your recommendations in terms of protection and mitigation? How can folks best uh, prevent this?
1: For recommendations for protection, um, I obviously first thing I'd actually recommend would be adopting a defense in depth strategy. So that would be using like multiple detections and protection technologies essentially to try and mitigate risks at all point of the potential attack chain. Um, I'd also recommend leveraging two-factor authentication where possible. And generally this would be a good thing to do to help limit the usefulness of any compromised credentials. Uh, Standard things like restricting remote desktop protocol access or any other tools that can enable remote desktop access. Uh, monitor any system management software that may be leveraged within your organization to ensure you have visibility of what's being delivered to your endpoints. Um, and then also things like in, enabling logging of PowerShell and dual-use tool usage as well. I'd also recommend working with your own security teams and security vendors, review the protection information um, that's available, um, share through our blog or share through our other colleagues as well to ensure all the steps have been taken to detect and block um, this type of activity across your organization.
0: Now, is your sense that the primary uh, goal here was espionage as opposed to, because we're dealing with the chemical sector as opposed to, you know, getting into industrial control systems, those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, as we began to dig into some of those recent victims, we quickly realized the attackers were clearly interested in chemical research The organizations where we actually observed the attackers uh, gaining access to, we were able to quickly identify that those victims had work relationships with each other. And we could see them specifically seeking out uh, research materials, in these cases related to epoxy research um, that the organizations were collaborating on. And what was pretty interesting about epoxy research, it's not just glue at the end of the day, um, it actually has many other practical uses Um, Among some of them being solid safe fuels, um, as we know in North Korea, have ramped up their missile testing since the beginning of 2022. And we believe it's likely due to the sanctions that have been imposed on the country, uh, the fact they've been excluded from that wider scientific community, um, they're beginning to resort to stealing that type of research and intellectual property to further their own either nuclear programs or um, interests. What's also interesting about this is we've also seen other North Korean groups as well targeting the chemical sector for similar research recently. Um, this is a group that we've known or that we track and we've also uh, published on in the past known as Stonefly um, and at that time they had been targeting again conglomerates, again involved in research around super alloys specifically used for heat shielding um, and it appears to be some sort of like directive of theirs to collect this type of information.
0: Thanks to Alan Neville from Symantec for joining us. The research is titled, Lazarus Targets Chemical Sector. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Six provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, visit SixSense.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Rachel Gelfand, Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner.